Like, those are my friends. Like, I go to them to literally hang out, look at memes, all of that. But no, 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 no. I'm going to try to have sex with all of them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pillow Talk, the daily's podcast about sex, dating, and all that's in between. I'm your host, Christy McManigle. While sex is fun to talk about and even more fun to have, this episode is centered around a more serious note, and that's rape and abuse that can occur in committed relationships. Today, joining us in discussing this is Chelsea Langang. Hey, what's up, guys? So, Chelsea, I feel like this is an area that hasn't really been tapped into enough. In this modern society, we hear about how women that were raped were criticized for having been drunk or out at night or showing up too much skin. And we don't know that that's not actually a woman's fault, that we actually should blame the rapist when it comes to things like this, and that it really doesn't matter what a girl's doing, what she's wearing, and so forth. But what about being raped or abused by your significant other? We don't really talk about that. What infuriates me is that there is some sort of population out there that actually believe that when you're in a relationship or marriage, your body's your partner's, and that they can do what they want with it, even if that means having sex against your own will. That should never really be the case. In no way is this healthy or moral or in any way acceptable. And so the inspiration for this episode actually comes from a recent interview that was conducted by my personal idol, Terry Gross. She does the Fresh Air radio show on NPR. There was an interview where she spoke with a writer named Roxane Gay. And so Roxane Gay is a very accomplished and successful author, and she recently wrote her autobiography called Hunger. In this book, she talks about her childhood. Around the age of 12, she was gang raped by her boyfriend and his friends. As a result, she felt the effects for years, and she kind of turned to food as a form of comfort. And in order to make herself look more repulsive, so others wouldn't be interested in her. And, you know, she never told anyone about the crime, and she allowed her rapist to make her out to be a whore. So, you know, she's from, I believe, from Haiti, a very small community, a very religious community, so forth. And, you know, when I heard this episode, it kind of triggered something in me because I can actually connect so well with her and understand, like, you know, what was she going through. I'm barely an adult. You know, I'm still a teenager, technically. But I've already had, I feel like I've already had to deal with things that were beyond my comprehension and they kind of affect how I'm affected the rest of my life. You know, listening to Roxanne Gay, she made me look at my past relationships and what they had done to me, especially my first relationship. You know, I jokingly tell my friends that I, you know, I was young and you know, it doesn't really count, but in reality, it's the most important one out of all my relationships because of what it did to me. I apologize in advance to any listeners that might feel uncomfortable with what I'm going to be sharing. And what made this relationship was so important was how this person had approached sex. I was 14, almost 15, but I'm not quite there yet, and he wanted to have sex so badly. I couldn't do it. I was young, and I was still aware of the fact that even though I was physically able to, I didn't want to. I wasn't in love with him, and I wasn't ready to give up my virginity. I was just so young, so unprepared, things like that. He said he understood my reasons and that he respected my space, but he didn't really. No later was he back to asking me and pressuring me, and this continued for some time. And eventually, he got impatient and decided to try a more physical approach, you know, as if I'd be you know, horny enough to actually want to have sex with him in the moment. And I remember I was making out with him, and I was felt you know, totally normal. And then after a few minutes, he took off my underwear from underneath my skirt. I was hesitant, but you know, I'm like, okay, all right, we're, we're good so far. He had me on my back, and then when I noticed his pants and underwear being pushed down, I kind of started freaking out. I told him, you know, he had to stop. You know, I was, I was really started to panic. He stopped, but then after a few moments, he tried again, and this time he had pinned my arms down, and he tried to force himself inside me. And I was screaming as hard as I could for him to stop that I really didn't want to do this. Luckily, his mom came home right then, and she, I know she heard me shouting. She came up to his room, and she found us, and she, you know, she came upon us, and she kind of just stared at us. She kind of was like in, you know, shock. And she looked at us for a while, and then she said, I hope you're being safe and responsible. And then she left. Of all the things that happened that day, that one shocked me the most. That this other woman, she heard my distress, and that she didn't come to my aid. And I don't know why she didn't do anything. 
I could speculate partially because he was her son and she didn't really know how to reprimand him um, be like, why are you forcing a girl to having sex? Also that maybe she could have been like, oh, well, they're dating. Couldn't have been that unwanted. But I feel like in relationships, that's something that is faced every single day in different ways besides just sex. You have it in the sex aspect, but then you also have it where like there are other things that are kind of just expected of someone else in a relationship. I definitely relate with the sex situation, not to the same extent, but where when your significant other just automatically wants to and then you're like, uh, no, I'm okay. And then they're like, but I want to, don't you want to do this thing for me? It's a very interesting and very weird situation to deal with because sometimes you don't actually know how to approach it or don't know what to do because in some ways the thing that they're asking you to do is they're asking in like a guilt-tripped kind of way. Yeah, it is. It's very guilt-inducing. They're like, why don't you want to do this for me? It's like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, there, what about me? This is not, you can't be like, it's for me. It's about us. There's, I'm there as well. I am another half. You can't just be like, well, what about my half? Well, I can acknowledge that you, yeah. that you don't, you know, you want to, but we have to take into account, I'm not ready yet. If we are a couple, you have to understand, you know, you don't understand that, then there's an issue with the relationship itself. Absolutely. And going back to what you said about first relationships being very important, my first real relationship I would consider would be in my freshman year of high school. I was dating this guy and it had been a few months because I told him, hey, like, I'm a virgin. I'm not ready yet. He respected that for the most part. It got to this point where his friends had started giving him crap that he hadn't sealed the deal with me or anything. Our relationship started going really, really fast. It was around, like, April and we had been dating for around four or five months at that point. And I went over to his house and we had talked about it. We definitely had talked about it and it happened. It was a very awkward situation. And then afterwards... He was like, okay, so that lasted like a few minutes and all of that and then automatically was like, okay, time for you to give me a blowjob now after he had already finished and all of that. For any of you who know anything about sex, it takes a man a a good little while in order to be able to uh, finish again. Automatically, assuming that I would do this for him, I was very uncomfortable by it because of the fact that like, you literally just took my virginity, now you're asking me to give you something making it seem like he had just given me the greatest Christmas present in the whole world by taking my virginity, despite the fact that it hurt a lot. The first time's the worst. Yeah, it's okay. the worst. Okay, some people, they do have they do have good times. Mm. But mine was okay. You know, I was able to finish at least. I know, like, some people, they, most people don't get that opportunity. I didn't get that, no. And it's like, okay, I'm lying here. I'm hurting. I didn't even come. And you want me to put my mouth on your penis. And then that's yeah. that's going to last for a while because you haven't, like, resupplied yet. L- let me tell you guys. So that happened. An hour and 30 minutes later, I was really <gasps> fed up of the whole thing. And I was like, I'm done. Then he forced my head back down. And I'm like... So this is how this is going to be. And from that point on, our relationship was very, very weird, but it was in a situation where it was my first relationship. It was this first time feeling this concept of love mm-hmm. and affection. And I'm like, oh, no, this person, this person really wants me. This person loves me. I kept going with this pain I was enduring, mostly like mental and totally just lost the word I was going to say. So good. Do you think in your case, if I recall correctly, he was a little bit older than you or maybe academically older? Academically older. 
Do you think that had anything to deal with the fact like his friends were pressuring him like, oh, why haven't you had sex with, you know, she and so forth? Like maybe they had already, you know, had sex with, you know, plenty of times. See, I thought about that too, but the amazing thing was, or at least he told me, he was like, yeah, I lost my virginity at 13. I was like, so why so eager to? Yeah, why so eager to do that with me, even though you could have just easily told all those people like, hey, like I've already done it, like trust me, I've already done it. But at the same time, I've always wondered, was he actually telling the truth about Losing about that because that's also a very interesting topic about guys and even girls talking about like sex with like their friends like I've done it of course I've done it like bro like I've gotten in there I feel like we give each other a lot of crap there's mm -hmm. a lot of people who give each other a lot of crap if like if you haven't done it or you don't and especially with guys if you haven't done it mm -hmm. if you have not had sex then you're viewed with like lack of a better term as a pussy can you yeah. agree with that? Like I can, I can understand that. And you know, I, was, I was thinking about how, like, why did my first boyfriend want to have sex with me so badly? Because none of our friends had had sex yet. Actually, halfway through a relationship, he had done more things than most of his his friends did. And I kept thinking, you know, what is going on? And yet maybe, like, you know, at 14, 15 years old, it was like an arms race almost. Like, he wanted to be the first one. You know, I think that's why he wanted to have sex so badly because he wanted to be the first one. He was always, like, the butt of the jokes. He was um, not, like, towards the top of, like, our friend hierarchy, if, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, our friends, there was, like, a small pyramid. He wasn't anywhere near, like, top dog, basically. And I know that, you know, that drove him crazy because his best friend was the top dog. Ironically, the, you know, the so-called top dog didn't have sex until, like, he was, I believe, 17 or 16. Mm -hmm. It took him a while as well. I can't understand it. Like, you would rather make me feel uncomfortable just so you can have some bragging right. I think that's the really frustrating thing about teenage relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think a part of it is, A, how you're raised. Yeah. The image that you were taught by your parents. Also, what you're taught in school or the lack of what you were taught in school. It's very frustrating that some people, just by what they see in their own home, they then automatically assume, like, okay, I was raised with this, so then this must be the best way to observe this situation or go by and proceed with other people. Mm -hmm. Do you think in that situation, was he raised in anything that reflected like what happened to you and him and your relationship? You know, I've also thought about that as well. And the thing is, is I can't comment on it because his parents were so friendly, so normal, so progressive. I had no way can understand how this could have contributed to it. The only thing I can, think I can maybe speculate is his parents didn't talk with him enough. They, his dad never had that talk with him like, hey, you know, don't pressure girls. Don't do this. Like, it'll happen when it happens. I don't think he had that talk with my boyfriend. I was his first relationship. They might not have gotten to that point. It was kind of like the birds and the bees talk. Like, mm -hmm. you kind of have that talk when you realize that your son or daughter is about to start dating or they are dating, that's when you have the talk. I feel like because we had been recently dating, his dad just hadn't gone around to it yet. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the only thing I can really I can really imagine with that. And I, I like to think that like, this incident didn't happen because it's like, you know, I could have been raped, but I, you know, technically I did not, it didn't actually happen. But, you know, listening to um, Roxanne Gay's interview, it made me realize that it did change me afterwards, that whole experience. Um, I did things to change my appearance subconsciously to compensate for what happened. And I never really put two and two together until, like, you know, after listening to this interview. Mm -hmm. Like, after I had ended this relationship with him, I changed how I looked. I was somebody who, like, prided over my hair. That's, like, a thing in high school. I loved my hair. And so, like, you know, within a couple months of breaking up with him, I, I cut it all off. You know, I shaved, I shaved my head, basically. You know, I told everyone who was like, why would you do that? I'm like, you know, I just wanted to change. But I feel like there's actually like more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Of course. 
because you know I changed my hair, but also you know, I stopped wearing makeup completely. You know, I, I changed my clothes to make myself seem almost more butch. And it kind of worked. The other boys at school would, you know, sometimes tease me because of how I looked. You know, I was like this muscular softball player that had, you know, really short hair and then wore, you know, baggy sweatshirts all the time. And that I was one of the guys and didn't, you know, I wasn't one of those girls that had lots of admirers because of how I, I made myself appear. And, you know, I like to think that I've learned something from this incident. But the truth is, I think I was so emotionally vulnerable for years afterwards that I did, I kind of let myself get trapped again recently. But in you know, a totally different sense. And in another relationship of mine, we kind of see this different aspect that's the, the emotional abuse that can occur when being in a committed relationship. Because while the, um, the almost rape incident was with my first boyfriend, it wasn't my first long-term relationship. We dated for a short time, then ended it. But after breaking up my, with my first long-term relationship, I started college and you know, I met somebody. And, you know, he was kind of sweet and he was polite. And, you know, I didn't really bother to look further past that surface. I should have paid attention, though, because he seemed almost too perfect. And that I guess I should have, you know, had some red flags or just been more, you know, hesitant. But, you know, I was being swooed by this boy. I didn't see that he was kind of creating an image of himself in order to cater to what I wanted. I wanted someone who was around for once and he'd always be there for me. I wanted someone who was looking for a long-term relationship that wanted marriage and kids one day. Well, he wanted that too. And everything I'd wanted, he wanted too. And you know, I didn't give that a single thought. I think I was so emotionally broken after my first big relationship that I just wanted someone to respect me and cherish me. And I saw, I, I know that this boy saw this desperation from me. I think he saw that how broken I was at the time. And you know, sooner than later, I started a relationship with probably, I would honestly say like one of the best con men on UW campus. It's a weird way to put it, but that's how he is. And yeah. so it took me months to realize that. There were so many red flags, and I ignored them because I kept telling myself, at least somebody wants you. But, you know, when did women become like this? When did we decide that it's better to be with the wrong person than to just be alone? You know, I think that's an image that has been set up for us since, like, the very beginning. You know, and, like, in different ways, too. And, like, Victorian literature. You know, look at, God, look at Pride and Prejudice. Mm. The mom does whatever she can to marry off her five daughters. The daughters and the the, the oldest two, they're in, I believe, their early 20s. They're mm -hmm. not that old in our in our standards, but they were getting up there according to Victorian literature. Also, another book by Jane Austen. God, it was uh, Persuasion. That's it. That's it. Persuasion. Long story short, the main character is 27 years old, and she is considered a spinster by then. Wow. Wow. And here we are. We're 18 years old, and like, I'm 18 years old. And I'm like, there's a time where I'd rather be with somebody than be alone. And, but that doesn't make any sense. In today's society, you know, women get married at 40 years old, 30 years old, at all different ages. That's not an issue. And here I'm like, I have to be with somebody. Like, I don't even know why that is. You know, how did our modern society set women up like this? Because I, I know I'm not the only one that's like that. There's oh. Oh, no, absolutely. You're not the only one who's like that because I, I relate with that on a deep level because I also recently in the past year got out of a relationship that was my longest relationship out of all of them, out mm -hmm. of what, all four or five that I've had. I've recently realized in the past few months since that relationship ended that I wasn't upset about the relationship ending because of the person that I was upset about the relationship ending because of what was going to happen with me and me being lonely. And it's very interesting how relationships nowadays, some of them can be very like needy and very clingy. And that in its own way is emotional abuse. Yeah. Because there has been this new thing where you're in a relationship and that like you should just constantly be with that other person and that they should be your 100% all the time. Like you're, you're number one all the time. In reality, you can't forget that you're also in that relationship and that you were a separate person before that relationship and that you're always going to be afterwards. And the past nine months... I had to figure that out for myself that like, mm -hmm. like, hey, like I'm still a person like and it took me a lot of to recover from all of that because I was like, 
okay, now my daily schedule isn't full of this person and it isn't just being consumed by them. I actually have to find something to do with myself. Oh, this is really weird. The reason for that was because during that relationship I had, he made it seem like if you're not with me all the time, you're going to cheat on me. Honestly, because he thought that, I started thinking that. I'm like, oh my God, if he's not hanging out with me, then he's- self-propagating, getting worse and worse. It was a vicious cycle. It was like a very vicious cycle because he's like, okay, you're not hanging out with me right now. So then what guy are you hanging out with? And it got into the point where he was like, no, you cannot hang out with any guys. So some of my closest friends that I had had since sixth grade, I had to cut out. Because of, because, because of this person's worries. Yes, because of this person's worries, because of his own insecurities, which then translated to my insecurities and him assuming that like all of these guys, it's not, and he would always tell me, it's not that I don't trust you. It's that I don't trust them. But but, re- but in reality, doesn't that mean you don't trust me even if I tell you, like, hey, they're just my bros. Like, those are my friends. Like, I go to them to literally hang out, look at memes, all of that. But no, 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 no. I'm going to try to have sex with all of them. Yeah, not at all. You're right. You know, we hear that all the time. It's not you I don't trust. I don't trust them. That's something that you hear all the time. It's in, like, not you, it's me. It's in, you know, we hear it in like in the media, we hear it in movies, books, everywhere. We, you know, you give me a prime example of that. It's something that's been occurring for a long time. And the truth is, it's about insecurity. It's about worrying too much. That also just shows what kind of relationship it was. Because like, if this person is like, you know, I'm so worried, you know, I don't want you to be cheating on me. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm scared and so forth. You really don't have that much faith in the relationship, actually. If you're acting like that, look at my parents. My parents have been married for, you know, for 20 years. And, you know, when my dad hangs out with like... Um, his guy friends or chick friends my mom is not gonna she's not gonna say anything because they've been married for 20 years Mm -hmm. she trusts him by now because it's a stable working relationship yeah you have that communication you have that bond you maintain that relationship i think it's completely healthy to have other friends you should be having other friends if you don't have other friends outside of your significant other that's not a good sign no, it's so unhealthy. Like my parents, well, my dad and my stepmom, my dad has lots of other friends because just like myself, he's a social butterfly. He he just gets along with other people very well. Un- yeah. Unlike her, who is who identifies more as an introvert, has absolutely no other friends besides my dad. My dad has lots of trust in her, but when it comes to her trusting him, she doesn't. It's interesting. Yeah, she assumes like, oh my God, he's going to go to the bar. He's going to meet other ladies. Despite the fact that he's been married to your stepmom for years, fathered children with her. Exactly. Even though if she heard the way that he talks about her when she's not around, she would think otherwise about what she's saying. It just shows that even, what, my parents, they're around, they're in their 40s and 50s. That even teenage relationships and older relationships still face issues like that. And man, insecurities can really get you. Insecurities and the lack of trust and lack of communication and relationships are killers. Mm-hmm. They are the killers of relationships. Oh, definitely, definitely. Going back to everything, you know, I, I, you know, we're not fifty-year-old spinsters. We are not the crazy cat ladies who, you know, sit and watch Twilight movies. We're scared about becoming these already, and we're we're young. We're teenagers. We, you know, we have our goals. We have our aspirations. You know, we want to go get careers. We want to finish college. There's a lot of things we want to do and trips that we have planned. But I kind of knowingly chose to settle already as a teenager. I knew that this person was Mr. Right now versus like Mr. Right. I knew he was mm-hmm. just like a temporary thing. You know, I actually kind of considered him to be a rebound. Expected him to be a rebound, but then he stuck around. Despite being with him and make you know, our relationship always made me feel like shit. And knowing that he only saw me as like a possession, I still stayed in the 
you know, I keep going back to it and replaying it and it makes me so mad at myself. You know, I just don't know what, what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. While my first relationship hurt, you know, my very first one, you know, back going way back, even though that hurt me, I kind of think that this one was worse. This one has a slightly different impact because if you think about it, emotional abuse can last so much longer than anything else. It's not something that, it's not a bruise that you can fix. It kind of just like, it's a mentally, you can't fix things yourself easily, as easily as you might think you can. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why, you know, shrinks are around because you can't do this by yourself. As much as we want to have self-power, there's certain, you know, we can only do so much. Mm-hmm. You know, for months, um, this boy kind of manipulated and he contorted my emotions in a way that I'm just beginning to figure out now. Like, he won over my friends. You know, my guy friends, they didn't warm up to my first long-term relationship, but they warmed up to him. They adored him. They got his phone number. They talk all the time. They hang out. So he won over my friends kind of the same way that he had entrapped me. He, you know, kind of figured out what they, what they liked and catered to that, even though, like, that's not necessarily, like, what he's actually like. He kind of, but he has a different personality with him. Mm-hmm. He began cutting people out of my life that he felt threatened by, like your boyfriend. He was worried about you cheating on him, so you got to stop seeing your friends. Uh, same thing happened to me you know he'd see my best guy you know these are my closest friends they are literally my best friends and he's like you can't bring up their name around me you can't even see them you can't text them that was unreasonable and he even violated my privacy by going onto my phone and actually blocking them without me knowing and i thought they that they had ignored me because i hadn't spoken to them for a few weeks when reality it was him doing all these things behind the scenes and i had every reason to end my relationship it took me forever to do it. And I feel like I truly saw him for who he was after I had this emotional breakdown and I needed a break from him. Even when I asked for a few weeks away from him just to focus on school and my work and my mental health, he got so angry at me and he said that every day you're away from me, I fully expect you to be missing me and feeling guilty for what you're putting me through. And that's when I snapped out of it. I feel like that's when I truly understood what a manipulative and selfish boy he was, honestly. And I didn't feel guilty for asking for my break, and I definitely don't feel guilty for ending our relationship a little while afterwards. The most frustrating thing about all this is these are things that we can't teach our children that well. I had good parents. They did the right thing when it came to teaching me about sex and dating. My dad always said, the most dangerous men you'll have to deal with are the men that you date. It's true. It, It really is true. While I can agree with this, you also can't really prepare yourself for it, at least not the first time. I don't think I could have prepared myself. You know, I had some red signs, but I had to make that mistake to know better. That, that was just going to happen. And even one day when, when I have my children, is well, I know there's only so much that I can do. I can tell my son or daughter, you know, what I've been through and hope that they don't fall into the same trap as I did. And I, I, can, I can just hope that if they do, they can get themselves out of it. No, absolutely. And I think that goes back to talking about vicious cycles going and having to go through these experiences in order to come back out on the other side, like in a way, a better person, because you have to go through like that pain and that hurt in order to come out and be wiser and stronger, which if we think about it really sucks that we don't automatically have these things in our brain when we're born that like, hey, don't go out with guys that are gonna act like that. That's not how we act, that's not how we operate. What I'm trying to figure out is when did relationships start being about one person? That's such a Eurocentric idea right there. Like, like why? I can't understand, I can't even begin to fathom that just because of the fact that when you're in a relationship, there should be that, like, trust, that bond, and all of that, like, intertwined. I think relationships became that when we didn't mature properly. Mm -hmm. My first long-term relationship, it was all about him. You know, he was an athlete, he had to travel a lot, he couldn't see me that often. I respected that. I put put him first for everything. I'm like, okay, you're, you're paddling 
all your um you know traveling that comes before me i'm second priority i told him that when we first started dating I thought I understood it. The truth is, you, you can only handle so much before you're like, I'm done with this shit. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And then I let it happen to me again in my second long-term relationship. And I think it's just because I didn't know how to date right. I still had this high school dating mentality. Does that make sense? Oh, no, absolutely. And it, until I got really hurt, that's when I kind of matured. You know, yeah. That's when I started approaching dating with a different aspect. It's like, no, you know, they have their priorities and like they sometimes need things from me, but I also need things from them as well. Yeah, and, and that's the way it should be. But also, it's it kind of sounds like in that relationship that you were in, it seems like he manipulated you to make it seem like that he was making it about you, when in retrospect, he was literally making it about yeah, himself. He, that is true. He would always tell me, I do these things for you, and he'd make me feel so guilty. You and know what that sounds like? That sounds like a, like a serial killer being like, I'm killing for you. This is like a side tangent. He had to go to a shrink because something wasn't quite right and his parents knew that. His therapist actually diagnosed him with psychopathy. Wow. His parents never found out because he was old enough to have that information withheld. Wow. But he told me, and I'm like, I thought he was exaggerating. I'm like, okay, sure, you have mental problems. Like, you know, like people say like they have, they sometimes have say they have issues to get to gain sympathy because mm-hmm. he's manipulative. Yeah. I kind of assumed that. It's possible that that's actually true, honestly. If you really think about it now, like, looking back and, like, reflecting on, like, the situation, be like, hmm, maybe he was actually telling the truth when he said that. Oh, yeah, he was, you know, class A stalker. Oh, no. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Like I said, there are a lot of red flags, and I ignored them because I'm young, foolish, and I really want to have that big romance. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I feel like, especially for girls, we are raised with this idea of, like, We're giving examples of, like, princesses Mm -hmm. that, oh, their life goal is to find their prince charming and all of that. I feel like, yeah, those are great fairy tales and all all in that, but we kind of grow up with that example as, like, oh, that's eventually going to happen to me. And the worst part is they don't show what happens after the fairy tales. Exactly. Did they get divorced? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know, if <laughs> we don't know if Cinderella drove Prince Charming crazy because she kept sweeping and, you know, that's not her job anymore. Like, exactly. I'm not trying to blame it all on Disney or fairy tales, <laughs> but we literally grow up with that example. For me, personally, I've always been like, oh my god, there's going to be this one guy that just sweeps me off my feet and we're going to get married and it's going to be a... There, um, I'm going to be in a chariot that's made out of a pumpkin at one point and wow, <laughs> it's going to be all, all shits and giggles. No. This just shows how much of a sad romantic I am. But there's a scene from Sex and the City, the movie, where, okay, background, the main character, she basically gets stood up at her wedding. She mm-hmm. has this emotional trauma and all. And she spends months recovering. And there's a scene where she had to babysit her friend's daughter. She's babysitting the, the daughter. And, you know, she's reading her, you know, um, she actually is reading her Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, this doesn't happen, right? She said that after she had lost her potential marriage and her what she thought was her one true love. You don't see that very often, you know. You see, like, our moms reading us these, you know, Disney stories. I love that scene because it shows, like, you know, we have to think about that. We have to think about that doesn't always happen. We may want it to happen, you know, and relationships in our mind can seem like that. Reality is so much more different. We have to mm-hmm. start understanding that. We can't always approach dating at a young age with a fairy tale mentality because yeah. it just gets us hurt in the end. Like, from what I've realized is, everyone, just be your own Prince Charming. Be, like, your number one. In rea- like, that's what I've learned from relationships. Despite- like, the only person you can count on is yourself kind of thing? Yeah, like, or, like, love yourself before you can love someone else. Which sounds really cheesy, but honestly, in the past nine months, I'm like, 
oh shit, people were being serious about that one. I, for like the most part, have always been like, mm, like I feel myself, like I really like myself. But until after this past one really big relationship, I had to sit down for a minute and be like, wow, what do I do now that I'm yeah. all alone? Do I really like spending this much time with myself? <laughs> Who am I? Like, you know, I kind of had the same like epiphany after um, I became single. I was like, what do I do with myself? What do mm-hmm. I do every single day for hours now? It's like, I sit alone. And then you have to figure out what you like again. And then it's, yeah. like, it's like as if you had you were in a coma and like don't know who you are. And then they're like, okay, time to learn what your hobbies are again. And all that. Yeah, right? It's a very weird mentality. It's like weirdly like discovering, rediscovering yourself as a person. Because if you think about it, when you're in a relationship and this just happens naturally, like you conform to the other person. Yes, if it's, if yes, it's, definitely. If it's either by like musical tastes or by like foods you like, or if they're like, oh, I'm allergic to this, so like, you, you know, you can't, that. yeah, I can't eat that. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, wow, I actually really like peanuts. And <laughs> yeah, you like rediscover things about about yourself, which I think is really, really healthy. But then I'm in a different and current relationship now. I'm now figuring out like I can still do the things I like and eat the foods I like and like music that I like without trying to convince him or tell him or change him at all or have him change me which I'm like okay this is really weird is this like a joke like am I still allowed to be me right now it's very weird but very relieving to finally like understand the word healthy Mm -hmm. when it comes to a relationship because I'm like okay wow I'm still me and they still like me for me hello thanks wow yeah I definitely think it's also like I'm sure like a mark of maturity when you realize I can be with somebody and not have to be there like their doppelganger mm-hmm. and you know and if anybody who watches High Met Your Mother the, the, <laughs> the married couple in it they are the exact same person and while they have a happy marriage I do want the romance that they have that love I look at them it's like that has to be so unhealthy like they are clones of each other it's not mm-hmm. it's almost not right or in any way natural but it's a TV show. It works for them. I know in reality, that's nowhere near possible. Mm-hmm. I don't think I want to date myself. If I want to date myself, I'll be alone for the rest of my life. Or you'll get a cat. Or I'll get a cat because, exactly. you know. Yeah, and see, I think it's important to have at least common ground with someone that you're in a yes, relationship you need, with. you need a yes. little bit. Yeah, but then don't be the same person. No, you don't. You need to be. Also, it's so healthy to be able to have, you know, a debate or a conversation, you know, yes. discussing different altering ideas. Yeah, because who wants to just sit in silence and be like, okay, so what do we talk about now? Oh, oh, wait, we already how have much, everything in yeah. common. Never mind. No, there's All nothing to talk about. All you can do is talk about how much I love Nirvana and, like, Rocky Rose, our favorite flavor. Like, you know, does like... And then, and then that conversation transitions into, oh my god, I just love you so much. To and me, which just... seems very middle school. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, that's all we have for today, guys. Thank you for listening. Next week's topic is going to be about pornography. If you have any questions or you want to hear a certain topic, please feel free to email us at podcast at This has been Pill Talk with Christy McManigal.